You're listening to episode 232 of the Ruby on Rails podcast. I am your host, Kyle Daigle. This week, we uh, are going to make a little change. So um, we've had our great co-hosts, Britt, Joel, and Brian helping out and coming in. And this week, I wanted to bring in a friend, uh, someone I used to work with, Wynn Netherland, uh, who works at Labrado on their APIs, to come and talk a little bit about what he's up to with Rails and Sinatra and Ruby. And of course, the conversation devolves a little bit into GraphQL. Um, and this conversation's uh, pretty technical in comparison to some of our other conversations. So if you've been dying for an episode that really uh, dives in deep into something, this this might be the one for you. Um, and so Wynn is going to be here uh, just this once uh, to talk about, uh, you know, Rails and Ruby in the real world and what they're doing over there at Labrado um, and if that might be a good thing for you. So uh, stick around, give that a listen. Uh, I mentioned in the episode if uh, GraphQL isn't really your jam, we do sort of dive in pretty deep. And so uh, I recommend that you go check out graphql.org if you're not that familiar with GraphQL. Uh, it also has links to the Ruby gem from that site. That way you can really follow along with us if uh, if GraphQL isn't really your thing. Uh, but it is uh, a Ruby on Rails podcast that so we do talk about, obviously, Ruby and Rails, um, but how it uh, sort of works with APIs and Uh, now this sort of new world with GraphQL that we're uh, going into. Uh, So stick around for that. This episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you in part by Rollbar. One of the frustrating things we all deal with is errors. Uh, Relying on users to report errors, digging through log files, which is what I was doing earlier today to try to find an error. Uh, With Rollbar's error monitoring, you get the full stack trace, the context and user data to help you find and fix impactful errors super fast. You can integrate Rollbar into your existing workflow, send error alerts to Slack or HipChat, or automatically create new issues in Jira, Pivotal Tracker, and Trello. Adding the Rollbar Ruby SDK is as easy as gem install Rollbar so you can start tracking application errors in minutes. A few cool features, you can send all the request data from any rack framework. That's really helpful, especially when we're talking about APIs. If you're using Sinatra for your APIs, this can really help you. It also has built-in support for queue frameworks like Sidekick, Rescue, and Delayed Job. Uh, You can also set up Rollbar's JavaScript SDK uh, automatically, and you can deep link into your GitHub repos. Uh, This is pretty much my favorite feature. When you're looking at it and you're curious what that line of code does, you can just click it and it'll just show up in your GitHub repository. Easy peasy, fixing errors a lot faster. We have a special offer for listeners. Go to rollbar.com slash Ruby, sign up, and you can get the bootstrap plan for free. Again, go to rollbar.com slash Ruby, sign up and get the bootstrap plan for free. Loved by developers at awesome companies like Heroku, Twilio, Kayak, Zendesk, Twitch, and more. Go check out Rollbar today for easy, fast error tracking. Again, rollbar.com slash Ruby. Thanks to Rollbar for sponsoring this podcast. Now onto the show. So, when uh, how is the weather in Texas? The dual sons of Tatooine have emerged. <laughs> it's been milder than, I guess, the usual Texas summer, but it's still pretty hot. 
Yeah, we we just kind of ended our giant humid uh, stint up here, and now we're kind of like creeping into fall really quickly. Like, I mean, tonight and, and last night was beautiful. We were able to use our new fire pit. I actually did some manual labor and built a fire pit and like put in this enormous stone uh, area around it. Uh, not pavers because I'm not that cruel, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I I moved uh, along with a friend uh, like I don't know four yards of like pea stone. Uh, to make this fire pit area and it, it, it came out pretty good but it's at least not as humid up here which I think would be the dearth of my existence man that's um, awesome I love fire there. pits but it's it's gotta wait till October at least before we can break them out down here December <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome so Win, thank you so much for joining us um, Win, why don't you uh, introduce yourself a little bit sure my name is Wynn Netherland um, web engineer full stack sort of guy been doing this for about 20 years, currently working at Labrato, doing mostly API things, but getting back towards the, the front end side of development where I started, I guess, in the late 90s when it was really horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so now discovering that whole workflow all over again. Um, and if folks don't know, what does Labrato do? Labrato is a company that hosts metrics, so much like StatsD or Datadog or some other SaaS products that you might use, uh, we host your metrics in the cloud. So your application performing uh, performance monitoring metrics, we store those so you don't have to worry about them and just have a flat metered rate for storing those metrics in the cloud. Awesome. Um, so we know each other from GitHub. I joined GitHub and you were uh, the, the, the one of the API folks, one of the platform folks, and that's kind of how we got up and running. And so it's funny to hear you sort of say like getting back into the front end because <laughs> I recently um, was helping someone out on a project and it had like front end components where like there were views and CSS and JavaScript. And I have to be honest, like I know we've joked in the past about like my skills atrophy, but I'm sitting there and I'm just like, okay, URL four, like remind me what I need to do for this because I've become so accustomed to, you know, um, basically just pure Ruby at this point. It's a different world, isn't it? I made the joke several years while we were in the midst of doing API work at GitHub that the browser was no longer my runtime. And it's, <laughs> it's kind of a shock getting back into that, that flow where your application now, for the most part, served up by just this empty body tag and then magic happens and yeah. you have all this code that gets compiled and transpiled and repiled and piled up and sent <laughs> down to the browser. Yeah, and we were uh, like this this application and um, uh, some other stuff has been uh, relatively JavaScript heavy, which kind of which kind of fits into my mo with the, with all the GraphQL stuff. But still, generally, I'm I'm only really in uh, the back end of things, and I haven't really done too much with Node. Um, so my even my you know JavaScript skills have been a little bit rusty. I was joking with someone uh, the other day that I feel like the last time I seriously wrote some JavaScript, CoffeeScript was cool, um, and that was a while ago. Mm-hmm. It's a different world with ES6 and all of the different syntax changes that they've made over the years. We're currently bringing a new application or an older application into the future and ditching a lot of the the old coffee script. And it's amazing how entrenched that was, yeah. you know, a few years ago when we were using that that stack. And as Rubyist, it never felt that foreign to me. But I can mm-hmm. imagine someone that didn't sling Ruby on a day-to-day basis, what they must think of CoffeeScript or as JavaScript as I've also heard it called. <laughs> JavaScript, that's pretty great. 
Um, so what you mentioned, you're mainly working on APIs and I know you've mentioned to me a little bit about looking at GraphQL and, and doing stuff. So I'm curious coming from a, a company like uh, GitHub where we've mentioned, you know, uh, many a times, cause normally when I have guests or some of my co-hosts, we talk about the new hotness and I'm like, let me, let me Google what Rails 5 has in it because uh, it's not something that I've been uh, doing in my day job. And so I'm curious, you know, w what you think the, uh, or at least at work right now, or just sort of in, you know, in your world, what you think building an API looks like, what you think building an API looks like with Ruby, if that's like uh, the thing or Ruby and Rails or sort of where, where are you at with, uh, you know, spinning up an API uh, for, you know, your current work or just in general? Yeah, you, you know, there's so many variables that go into that that question of choosing tools. And yeah. it's a function of the current investments you've got in, in where your business logic lies. And, you know, it's a different um, proposition altogether. If you're starting Greenfield of what tools would I choose if I had nothing to build off of, what would a, the latest and greatest stack look like? The one that solves the problems the best, but that seems like it's never the case. You always have an investment that you've got to bring along. Um, and you know, our current gig is, is no different. We've got tons of business logic, uh, ironically in Ruby, but not in active record. We have it in SQL, Okay. which I've been using Ruby for over 10 years now. And this is my first foray into SQL spelled like a movie SQL. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's in that uncanny Valley where it's just similar enough to Errol and active record to f make you think, you know what you're doing. And then <laughs> you hit a sharp edge and you're like, yeah, that's not the same. Um, so, that's kind of the data access side of things. We're also in Sinatra, uh, which tends to be a popular choice for building APIs in Ruby. But uh, we've had this conversation before. Where it seems like all Sinatra apps lead to a Rails app at some point. Yeah, um, yeah. And so if I were starting from scratch, I don't know that I would choose Sinatra over Ruby unless I knew this was a micro of microservices and going to stay small forever. Yeah. But, you know, GraphQL changes a lot of things in as much as I've been invested in REST and the fielding school of, of RESTful <laughs> design, you know, over the years, it, it's been kind of a, a uh, transformation over the last few months trying to figure out what does GraphQL do for UIs, what's it do for mm -hmm. your business logic. And mm -hmm. I guess I was on board um, before leaving GitHub as you were leading the team that we're building, building out all of the uh, GraphQL API at GitHub. Uh, but it didn't really, it didn't click for me personally uh, until I was in the trenches and building something and seeing the power of having that flow all the way to the front end, especially if you can take advantage of React and something yeah. that pairs with it so well on the front end, which we're doing. But one of the things that I'm loving about GraphQL is it, for the most part, is the abstraction layer that we always wanted on top of the back end where we could offer up the entire back end in a kind of a la carte fashion. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be one of the selling points of GraphQL. There's always the, the marketing points that seem to be popular around a new technology, and that's what piques your interest and draws you in, and then you realize the real value lies, lies elsewhere. And so with GraphQL, one of the things that was always shared with me was you can get just what you want from the back end and not have to get this huge request payload coming across the wire. And that's definitely true. But for me, I think the light bulb moment was it's kind of a mindset change from 
restful nouns and fields to yeah. verbs and RPC, which is almost back to the future. I've got some old curmudgeons, you know, <laughs> up the road for me when I have this conversation with them. They say, is it just RPC? Well, yes, yes, it is. But uh, it's kind of like pant leg length and, and width, right? It's yeah, skinny yeah, yeah. to boot cut and back again. Um, but one of the things that is, I guess, been um, pleasantly surprising of getting into GraphQL is if you have a field that you're exposing and suddenly you need to to provide an argument for that field. Now, suddenly it's just another function. It's functions all the way down, right? Yeah. And it, it maps pretty well with stitching together different parts of the back end and providing a unified view for the UI developer. I think, though, that at least like, you know, thinking of, say, Sinatra, where hypothetically speaking, you uh, Sinatra and SQL, let's say, which or hypothetically speaking, you have, like you said, your HTTP noun and your path and, um, you know, and then you have this sort of method body that you are going to go collect the necessary records and then, you know, uh, serialize it into JSON or whatever um, in that uh, that that viewpoint in the world basically lets you have a lot more. Um, I guess kind of like clarity, like, you know, if it's slash um, dogs, like, you know, the thing that's getting returned is going to be dogs. And um, like, there's some natural uh, clarity to the overall code structure, I think, uh, you know, but if what I found with GraphQL in writing in that way, where you're basically just um, resolving the objects, like you're just no matter where we are in the query or whatever, we're getting the dog right now or the dogs right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I found that a need for like a better best practice in terms of how to keep those resolvers clean and how to make sure that when you improve that resolver that the underlying sort of data access like if you improve if you make the resolver faster that it's going to work over the entire system and like you said you know you add an argument which is ultimately just a function and then that function might be shared amongst multiple things like the thing that i found kind of interesting is making a clear mapping of what you're like where you're trying to get this data how you're massaging it how you're going to return it and you had mentioned to me um uh, 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 a week or so ago like kind of two things like a lot of the stuff that you've been doing has been basically feeling kind of like a map reduce in every one of these mm-hmm. resolvers mm-hmm. and then um also which is something that i've also felt a lot of is really wishing you had a language that was already typed because it would have helped you a lot better. Um, so I'm kind of curious if you like agree. I, I feel like the, like you said, the marketing with the GraphQL um, stuff is sort of um, really pr- like product engineer or consumer focused, I think. Um, you know, this is going to be better for you. And I think that's entirely true. And I think that we are still in the phase of like GraphQL is great to build, but it does sometimes feel like dropping in a bunch of RPCs and not really entirely knowing how to organize your code to make it feel um, like there's only a single thing being done in every place. I'm curious if you've uh, felt that way, and and I'm I'm not sure. I I have I have some feeling that Ruby causes some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious. You know, I'm curious what you think. Yeah, definitely. We've evolved our approach even the few months that we've been doing this for probably three or four iterations now and still trying to kind of grope our way and figure out what the optimal amount of code reuse and and clarity is as we map out what a resolver is. But it has turned out for at least the data that we're exposing to be sort of that map reduce pattern and a set of resolvers that um, we have some base functionality that's shared between them. But it it essentially boils down to getting, getting a 
a set of records, uh, filtering those records, ordering those records, uh, limiting those records, and then returning them uh, back to the, to the client. And mm-hmm. what's, I guess, pretty cool about how GraphQL fits into the equation is we can iterate pretty quickly on the back end and via mm-hmm. types in an interface and a spec that we have with the front end, we, we know we haven't broken anything, um, yep. which is... There was a promise of that in REST, but in practice, I don't think it ever quite bore out. Um, where, you know, I'm I'm curious if we didn't have the investment in the business logic that's in Ruby now, what sort of stack would I choose yeah. uh, if I were building this out? And I almost wonder, and this is purely speculation, but I almost wonder if if it wouldn't be more of a polyglot stack or a, a hybrid where you had a language that was really good at taking the queries in from GraphQL and just dispatching them to the RPC calls to, to back whatever field and, and type that you're trying to resolve uh, and speak maybe gRPC to the back end on some of that, something that's ultra portable where you're not invested in, you have a, a protocol between GraphQL layer and the, and the back end, just like you have between the front end uh, mm-hmm. and the, the middle tier via GraphQL. Uh, we're using gRPC um, to hit a lot of our different um, heterogeneous backend technologies. That has its own problems since some of those are legacy. And you know, Jason, <laughs> uh, you know, Jason has been kind of the lingua franca for quite a while now, where you just parse some JSON and you have just enough typing to pass along to the next tier, and trying to pull something unstructured like that through gRPC is kind of hard because just even describing kind of an unstructured document in IDL is difficult, which mm-hmm. probably means that, you know, you're missing some design in the in the process somewhere, but it, working with legacy systems, I guess that's where some of the complications come in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that, you know, it's been, it's been interesting to kind of watch the community, uh, grow you know with graphql and there's a graphql summit coming up um i believe in october um in san francisco and um it it, it, i'd love to i'd love to hear from more ruby shops you know Mm -hmm. um like shopify has given a couple talks and essentially what they have done with graphql is really lean into like active record or active model and kind of making things act like active model, even though they're ultimately GraphQL resolvers, which is kind of like the, you know, the let's make this more comfortable for rails developers approach, you know, um, which I think, which I think is paid off dividends for them, but there's always that sort of question. I know we've talked about this in the past of just like, well, we, we see this promised land where we have this line in the sand between, you know, the application and data access you know where we we can make changes to the back end or make changes to how we store or get at the data and nothing's going to change um but when you sort of couple the orm or couple uh you know um i guess really just like the data data access or data model in the front end, the front of graphql to the back of graphql um i think that you know could cause some problems but that's one of those things where like i'm not entirely sure anyone maybe even possibly including facebook i guess in some way has gotten to that promised land mm-hmm. quite yet like facebook cheated and already had a sort of right. clear data access model before they started to use uh graphql um but i think that it's a, I, th- I i think it's one of those interesting things like you said where the you know the idl and the approach of writing resolvers can be a little bit tricky but um but 
short of leaving Ruby or short of leave, you know, leaving rails where you put some stuff in go or rust or whatever, and then, you know, put some other stuff in Ruby and you put some, you know, the actual application can stay in rails or maybe it moves to node or whatever. Um, I think more applications are kind of headed that way, but, um, I'm not sure that most folks kind of starting on a project or having invested, you know, uh, let's just say 10 years in a rails application, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, uh, it becomes difficult to kind of make that, uh, slice and dice choice, I guess, and, you know, leave that, leave that rails monolith. I'm hopeful with some of the proposed changes in the Ruby GraphQL gem that we can get away from the DSL driven approach that we're currently using to implement mm-hmm. a schema and just write vanilla schema and have types that back that. I think that would be uh, a lot less opaque to the average yeah. Ruby developer. And so I'm curious. I, I, I kind of want to talk about this maybe a little bit uh, more high level though, because I, I've talked to Robert, um, uh, you know, the, the gem author of GraphQL Ruby. He works at GitHub uh, as well, and we talked a little bit about leaving the DSL, and he's definitely you know pro leaving the DSL. But it led to some interesting conversations with both him and others around like I, I feel like the Ruby DSL. Uh, <laughs> like apocalypse is here kind of like when we when we i don't want to i guess i don't want to speak for both of us but i feel like when i started in rails like the the big glory of it in one o or whatever was everything was like you just write a dsl you write this beautiful cheaty thing using metaprogramming and now like everything just acts the way that humans would think of it and it's very comfortable and it contains all your business logic but I, i'm finding like that most like I guess less and less uh, of the newer gems that come out, you know, to to do one thing or really trying to do too many, like too much trickery with DSLs. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of it tends to be like, okay, call this method with some arguments and it'll do thing. And that is it. Um, I'm curious if you kind of feel the same way or have seen that in your experience. Um, Cause it definitely feels like DSLs, like proposing that, for example, um, like proposing a really, really rich uh, DSL set would be, maybe come off poorly um, nowadays? Yeah, and I think it's maybe just a evolution in the Ruby community. When you have a, a language that's expressive and as, um, I guess Dave Thomas said, as beautifully ugly as Ruby, <laughs> right? Um, you can do some powerful things from a DSL standpoint, but it raises the barrier of entry to people that are new to the language. I have some mm-hmm. colleagues on our team that are, really accomplished Python developers and stepping into the Ruby world, they're like, what sort of dark arts is this? <laughs> and uh, that's just at the, the the most base DSL level within within GraphQL. But I don't think it's a GraphQL gem problem by any sure. stretch, right? Um, I mean, we had a DSL for doing authorization tests in a project that you and I worked on. And mm-hmm. uh, I've got to say my fingerprints are all over that, which if you understand it, it is extremely dry and makes it uh, a lot easier to to do what you're trying to do. If you don't understand it, you just kind of want to punt because you don't want to get your head around what's going on. So which yeah. probably points to a bad abstraction. But Ruby allows you to, I mean, it's a very sharp two-edged sword, right? I mean, I had a tweet this last week around, just as a prototype, I was uh, changing the state shape of a GraphQL call and needed to essentially divide two time series by each other. So naturally I could, override the divide operator and the multiply operator and all four operators for a particular Ruby class. And when I showed that to the colleagues that were coming from the Python world, they were like, what, what, how can, how does this even work? Right. <laughs> um, and you know, future me would be probably hating on myself for 
you know, if I left that in production, but that's the power of Ruby, but it's also um, very dry code can also lead to very clever code, which is probably not the best in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've, I've, I've been curious. I've, I've been curious sort of just over time. It just, it, it feels like we're, yeah, like it becomes more comfortable to get obvious, you know, like I feel mm-hmm. like I'm seeing more um, sort of comments like that's too clever. You know, like, let's just do the thing that everyone's going to completely understand or whatever. Um, you know, all, all other things being equal, say, like all performance being equal, just, you know, trying to make things. Whereas I feel like, you know, as things have happened, as, as things have matured and, and probably as, you know, Rubyists have, have uh, poked around at some of the other, you know, uh, Ruby adjacent languages, I guess, you know, Ruby like or Ruby ish languages, um, have gotten a little bit more comfortable, but it definitely feels like the, the, uh, again, yeah, no, uh, no, no shade on GraphQL Ruby at all. Um, but just, it definitely feels like most folks are sort of leaving that magical, uh, DSL, um, and going towards something that feels a bit more obvious. I wonder how much of that is just as an industry, we're no longer as tone deaf to beginners as we once were. I know when I started developing, it was almost this, um, Gnostic approach to trying to find esoteric knowledge to advance in your career. Usually it meant, um, certain bash incantations that everybody just knew what they did. And you're like, I have no idea what this means. Uh, One of them that comes to mind in the Ruby community was, I remember the first time I was building an admin interface and the simple two proc Mm -hmm. syntax, where it's the ampersand and colon and whatever the name of the method you want to call in a block, which is totally (laughs) ungoogleable, right? (laughs) And the first time you see it, you're like, how does it even know? How, uh, what? And, And so that's the sort of thing that, that little one-liner is an incredible productivity boost, but it's also a barrier for the person that comes behind you that doesn't know what that does. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I just just today I was I I always forget um, the like array shortcuts, like the percent letter, you know, bracket mm-hmm. or whatever, and all <laughs> the other like string, all those little shortcuts, the string shortcuts. I always forget what the letters mean, and like trying to Google for that list is like it took me a couple times, and I was like, oh, okay, I could hear it, here it is, because uh, I, all those little tricks that you find littered through like any Ruby code base of age, you know, or you know, uh, some uh, depending on where you work or if you're not consultancy you know sometimes those things are just very standard and so uh trying to find that stuff i i I agree with you i i do think that a lot of it is you know suddenly realizing that there's such a cost to joining a code base that the more like simplistic i guess it can be uh even though the business logic can be horribly complex um could be valuable i think that's i think that's a really good point i'm curious to where you think we are in the gartner hype cycle for GraphQL. Oh my God, we are. See, I don't think we've hit the peak of the hype cycle, but I think we are. I think we are very high in the in the hype. Um, I think the thing that we don't have right now is people talking about. Uh, we wrote it. We have it. It's running. People are using it, and now here's the pain we have. Mm-hmm. You know, like in especially especially public stuff, like especially with end consumers who aren't your own employees. Um, and I think, you know, we've done a little bit of that. Shopify's done some of that. Um, there's other companies for sure, for sure, for sure that have, have done it and talked about it. Um, but public GraphQL APIs aren't very common. And so to me, the adoption will stagnate 
uh, incredibly quickly if the public version can't be fixed because no company is going to say, okay, we'll use, well, I don't want to say that. I, I would imagine that the cell will become more difficult if it's, we're going to use GraphQL for ourselves, but then we're going to write a REST API because everyone just gets REST APIs or whatever for, for public, um, you know, for public consumption. I feel like we need to fix that problem uh, soon, you know, and start talking about it better because otherwise I think that the, um, the, the boom bust is going to happen a lot faster. Um, you know, right now I think that we're probably in the phase where there's enough volume of companies that are using it that you can go to your employer and say, Oh, look, Shopify's using it. They're huge. Or Facebook's using it. They're huge. Like I guess anyone plus Facebook, um, you know, you can, you can get in on it, but, um, but we haven't really seen a ton of the sort of long-term consequences of this system, you know, like rest is, is played out nine ways to Sunday. So, mm-hmm. you know, we can, we can just know, Oh, well, you know, th- when you go this way, this is a problem you're going to have. Um, but with GraphQL and things like it's promise of nothing, you know, you can't ever remove anything, you know, that there's no such thing as a breaking change in GraphQL, things like that, that are pretty nihilistic and um, tend to be, tested currently in private settings may become much more difficult to uh, keep running in public settings um, in ways that I think the community has to has to sort of talk about more uh, instead of I feel like currently we're still sort of talking about the here's how to build a GraphQL API or here's why GraphQL is better than XYZ. Mm -hmm. And we need to start talking about, I think like how to maintain a GraphQL API and how to evolve a GraphQL API and how to use GraphQL to switch from Ruby to Python or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like those sorts of things I feel like are where we're going to, um, like need to, you know, need to start talking in order for it to become like not a fidget spinner. You know, which like is already as far as I know, I don't know if you or if your girls ever gotten a fidget spinners. Oh, but sure. Yep. I, I feel like I feel like we're done. Like, I feel like it's over now. <laughs> like, if I if I sent them a fidget spinner, they'd be like, what's, what's this thing? Yep. Our Slack has a fidget spinner emoji, too, which see <laughs> probably means we're at pick. Yeah, exactly. Spinner. When adults are making emojis in chat, it's that's when it's all over. So I just I don't want it to be that because I do think the thing that's really interesting is, you know, is the typing, is the uh, front end aspect of things, is the getting things in the shape that you want and um, allowing me as a backend engineer to make a lot of changes over mm-hmm. time to how that thing, like how that query ultimately becomes data. Um, but we, you know, everyone can write a REST API right now. Like it's very accessible. It's the thing that everyone's going to jump to. Um, you know, I, I don't know how long it's going to take for GraphQL to get there, but I definitely don't think, you know, I give a talk about GraphQL and I, I say that it's like, this isn't something where it's like, oh, come hear my talk and tomorrow go build yourself a GraphQL API and launch it and everything's going to be great. It's more like, come be interested in this with us, you know, and, mm-hmm. and give it a shot, but know full well that like, this isn't solved yet, you know, like we're, 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 we're still kind of figuring out the rough edges and how to make it, you know, keep going. I think you make valid points. I'm wondering if you might be closer to the bubble than most having operated a public API in GraphQL for some time now. I, I find when I'm having the conversation, I'm still wearing my iHeart GraphQL sandwich board and beating my drum <laughs> and still getting a lot of blank stares where people aren't opposed to the message. They're just not familiar with it yet. Sure. And I think 
when it comes to the maturation of the ecosystem, we're looking at kind of a split on the front end and then on the back end. And on the front end, the tooling, though most seems to be in JavaScript, is pretty mature so far. Um, on the back end, it's sort of the Wild West, especially in the Ruby space in which we operate. And there's some languages, JavaScript being one, that has some maturation there. But there's a lot of really early frameworks in some of the very popular languages, and I'm curious of how that's going to mature over the next year or two years that are going to solve some of these problems and you know, problems or opportunities. I think mm-hmm. um, if you are heavily invested in a single-page application type setup where JavaScript's running everything on the front end, it's kind of hard not to, to at least bet on GraphQL to stitch all that together. There's, it's not a silver bullet, and there's some pain depending on what sort of data you're serving up to the front end. But as far as like CRUD operations that most applications do, it's kind of hard to beat a one-stop shop for all your data. Yeah. And I mean, there's all kinds of interesting problems like with parsing the IDL and Mm -hmm. promises in Ruby, you know, and things like that where GraphQL really wants you to, you know, basically uh, look through a query and then go, okay, I'm going to chop this up into 15 units and go do all of those at the same time. And Ruby's like, "Uh, I could do that. (laughs) Right. Uh, But I really wish you wouldn't make me do that. (laughs) You know, it's amazing that you can even have that option now. Sure, sure. to look at the AST of the query coming in and saying, let me make this in the most efficient manner, whereas before you would just rub some cash on it and call it a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, our buddy Garin has created the IDO parser and, and Rust, and I was encouraged mm-hmm. to see the philosophy behind that. It's like we need some shared logic yeah. across projects instead of everybody re-implementing the wheel. And something like parsing, I think, makes a lot of sense to do that in a typed, static-typed language that we could... Then just leverage in a bunch of different backends, and so having that back the Ruby gem, I think, makes a lot of sense. I'm hoping that a lot of the tooling goes to that type mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. of setup. I mean, look at what libgit did with Git and some others. That you know, now we have the same logic. Libsass being another one, they have the same logic executing behind the scenes, no matter what your binding language is. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that I think that the community. Uh, in order, in order for like the hype cycle to not, because I think, what, oh man, there's like a graph, and I, I never remember the name of it, but it's basically like the early adopters are on one end, and then like corporate users are on the other, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like the thing right now is we're still definitely in the area where it's um, people willing to put up with shitty tools because they see the promise of this thing, um, and uh, you know, and I think what we need to get ultimately get to as a group is like make it so that the tools, like the building a GraphQL backend is as good or as fun or as reasonable as consuming a GraphQL API because it's definitely not there now. Um, And again, that's no shade on anyone that wrote any libraries in the backend because like, you know, this is a, a very complicated problem, especially when you're sort of putting it into languages that don't really want it to be that way. Um, but, but it's something that I think will, will be necessary for, you know, mass adoption, uh, over time. You know, I think like there's, you know, things like factories even in rails, right? Like those early libraries were super DSL and very kind of weird, but they were like a little bit better than fixtures. So everyone was kind of like, all right, I'm going to deal with this. And then over time that stuff got better. Um, behavior driven, um, uh, you know, testing, uh, got better over time because, you know, uh, I feel like it, 
it got to the point where it was better to do it. It was just as good as writing the front end code in a way and things and people intended to enjoy it. But I think that's where we end up getting to with, um, with rails is everyone sort of expects like every part of writing code in, in rails should be just as enjoyable, I guess, as the next. And when one isn't as enjoyable, it feels really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Like even if it's only 1% bad worse, you know, it feels disgusting because the rest of it feels so, you know, joyful, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, and I, th- I think that's kind of the the, the technology thing because you know, there, folks folks can learn about GraphQL and, and sort of be sold on the promise of why it's better. And then I think it's one of the things where you have to use it right now to really understand it. You can't just sort of be explained it and go, oh, yeah, that does sound better. Let's use that. Um, but, but I think uh, we need to stop people from fleeing when things get a little bit gross under the hood. Uh, and hopefully, um, you know, more and more uh, devs can sort of put their heads together like Garn did. Uh, and come up with ways that are better and ways that can be shared amongst languages um, since, you know, GraphQL is lucky that a lot of it is not language specific. You make a great point, especially for your audience that is probably more immersed in Rails than the average engineering team. One of the things that we're doing in building our GraphQL API, it's coming out of a Sinatra app that's separate from our Rails application. So if we were doing this in the middle of Rails, I wonder how disjointed it might feel. Um, you mentioned the churn of the tools. I, I, I think maybe since the center of gravity for GraphQL kind of overlaps the most, um, the largest part is with the, the JavaScript community, which is used to churn yeah. anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I wonder if there's some some grace that's being extended there. Uh, but from a Ruby standpoint, it does feel like something grafted onto your Ruby web application. And I'm Another reason I'm hopeful of the change in approach that is being proposed in the GraphQL gem where you go spec first and then types that back it, that kind mm-hmm. of feels like what you're doing when you're building a web application in Rails where you have endpoints in a web application with either HTTP method and a resource path, and here are the controllers and the actions that back those. I kind of want the same thing. Those patterns, they don't have to be my patterns as long as there's a pattern where I don't have to figure out how to do this. I can just yeah, figure out, yeah. you know, what needs to be done and then come yeah. in. And the same way that I can jump into any Rails application and for the most part know where things are was a game changer for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I really want that from a GraphQL to GraphQL application. Yeah. No, that's that is completely true and something I know that we don't have yet. <laughs> um, I, it's, it, I feel like that's kind of like the developer nerd war story thing right now where it's like, how do you, how do you organize your stuff? Like, do you have folders for all this stuff? Or what does that look like? You know, we're still kind of there, so it'll take time, but I, I, I'm, I'm confident in it. Um, long-term, but I am, I am curious to kind of see how long it'll take before we, um, it feels like we're leaving the you know new shiny thing uh, period of time. I'm curious though of how um, how many of the problems that we're experiencing as Rubyus building GraphQL are unique to Rubyus building GraphQL. Yeah, um, it might come back to just the concurrency model that we've got within the language that makes threading and concurrent calls difficult at best. That in other languages. You know, like a go routine would solve a lot of problems that we can get sure. backgrounding jobs for, right? <laughs> and yeah. uh, some of the hoops that we jump through to build GraphQL in Ruby, I wonder if other frameworks are experiencing the same difficulties. 
well, we'll just wait for the next version of Ruby and <laughs> right, it will be good. <laughs> uh, I mean, to be honest, though, like, you know, kind of like shoulder shrug, who knows, like that could be the like that could be the solution like there. You know, I have been following all of the the jokes and uh, the, the serious efforts to make to make Ruby more, you know, uh, concurrent. Uh, but like nowadays, like, you know that that could just be it like that could like especially for uh say uh github right like with all the stuff that we've written and then we are able to move to concurrency or to ruby three or four or whatever that introduces a better model uh you know uh with a lot a lot a lot of work Mm -hmm. that you know things could uh significantly change in how it's like operated and built right um but i think we're i think we're not really uh you know we're not really quite there yet and i think that's kind of why you know the reference specification for GraphQL server is in JavaScript, the data loader um, project, which Facebook kind of uses to do like batch data loading with GraphQL is in JavaScript. Like everything is just there because it's the, you know, like you said, it's just sort of this become the standard language, regardless of the, you know, quote unquote joy of using rails um, in all in, you know, the sort of accessibility, I guess uh, in some, in some way. Uh, of Ruby is now it's just assumed that uh, in RPG speak that JavaScript is common tongue and everyone just speaks common now, uh, and that's uh, and that's that. You mentioned earlier in the conversation around wanting a more typed language to back some of these things. The concurrency model is one of the, I guess, the aspects of choosing a language and how you're going to serve up data through your your API, but. Having types, again, in GraphQL is kind of, yeah, I came from a C-sharp background before I came into Ruby, and one of the things I liked about Ruby was its uh, dynamism and, and being able to um, run an, an application and just save the, the buffer and refresh the browser and not have to go through a whole build process. But there's certain times where there's you just want types, you want compile time checking, right? And mm-hmm. having interfaces and actual types in your spec there's a lot of times where I long for the same sort of thing in the implementation language and a recurring pattern that seems to happen as we're talking over PRs as we're implementing things. We'll say, I think we're missing an interface here, which is kind of a unique conversation to have when you're implementing Ruby types. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially, especially when you're those interfaces or those unions or whatever are right. sitting on top of these, uh, not so perfect Ruby objects or active record models or whatever. Um, yeah, I can, I completely agree. <laughs> Um, since we talked a fair bit about, uh, uh, GraphQL, uh, today, and I know, I know I've brought it up in the past on the podcast, but we haven't really sort of done such a tech heavy, uh, discussion for folks, uh, listening at home. Um, you can go check out graphql.org, um, which talks a lot about what we talked about. So if you, um, I'll mention this at the top of the show as well, but, um, give that a look. Uh, it has a lot of easy ways to kind of give, um, you know, understand kind of what we're talking about, uh, even if you've never built uh, a GraphQL uh, API before. And I will link to the GraphQL Ruby gem in our show notes. Um, Wynn, thank you so much for joining me on uh, this uh, awesomely uh, technical discussion of uh, GraphQL (laughs) on accident. I feel like I'm kind of like this, uh, I don't know, black hole of GraphQL where (laughs) every discussion just sort of accidentally kind of moves this way, but. Totally my pleasure. It's been fun to geek out and talk about something that uh, we've shared kind of maybe disjointed timelines of of adoption. (laughs) I remember when you first started talking to me about it, 
like my eyes kind of glazed over. I was like, oh, I kind of see the point. But it, there's that light bulb moment as you're yeah. implementing one of these things that you're you start to see the uh, the appeal and hopefully become a true believer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to reel in my like kid on Christmas morning when I talk <laughs> right. to people. Like, no, you don't understand, Dad. It's like you know, this is the newest thing. Um, getting a little bit better. <laughs> Um, awesome. Well, thanks, Wynn. Uh Hopefully, we'll have you back on the show soon. Look forward to it. <laughs>